Welcome to the June edition of Life in the Tax Lane. It's summertime, everything is hot and steamy, and we got lots of great... What kind of show is this, Joe? <laughs> okay. I didn't get that memo. <laughs> We're going to keep our clothes on, well, just to be clear. The summertime's not quite here yet, but uh, as you're planning the traditional office barbecue, office picnic, you might want to think about CRA's position on social activities around the workplace. Now... I don't know where they came up with this idea, but CRA seems to think that hanging out with the people you work with outside of regular mm -hmm. office hours is somehow a benefit. Now, I know a few people, especially in the accounting community, who might take a countervailing opinion, but the value of a benefit of any kind, whatever, that I receive by virtue of my employment is taxable. So I guess if the employer is paying for a party or a function, mm -hmm. certainly they're feeding me, maybe they're paying for entertainment, there's probably a benefit there. CRA says, let's get real. We gotta be reasonable here. If the cost is kept under control, we don't think there's a taxable benefit. And our number is $150 per person at the event. Mm -hmm. If you stay under that, you're okay. And if you really wanna make sure you don't have a benefit, CRA graciously says, people who did not attend receive no benefit. So if no one's at your Christmas party, you know why. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, let's talk a little bit about interest deductibility, Caitlin. Yeah, yeah. It's a common question we get. You borrow some cash to purchase an investment. Can we be deducting interest? And there's a number of conditions uh, that you have to meet. One of those conditions is that you incur that interest to earn income. So you would think, yeah, we should be able to deduct it. Well, we had a tax court case uh, where the court said, no, you can't. Why? In this case, uh, the taxpayer received uh, a quite a sizable return of capital related to his investment. And at the end of the day, the court said, well, what did you do with your return of capital? And much of it went into his pocket for personal expenditures. And at that point, we no longer had the link between the borrowed money, earning funds on the investment, and, and the actual investment. Um, so you got to be careful. you got to keep doing those ongoing evaluations uh, as to whether you have an income-earning purpose to your loan. All right. Let's talk about the next thing, vehicles. So you've got a company, and you've bought a vehicle. Now, in accounting speak, uh, you're hoping that it would generally go into class 10. There is a big project underway across the country, and we have seen this in British Columbia, Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, but we haven't seen it farther east than that yet. I'm expecting it to go there. So CRA is basically saying you've got a major addition to class 10 here. Maybe you bought a vehicle or two and you bumped up this. Tell us about it. Show us your purchase documents. Tell us when you, uh, if you claimed an input tax credit for it, when and how much, and also show us your insurance that you've paid on it. Kaylin, Hugh, what are they looking for here? What yeah, do you think? It feels like they're policing the system, Joe. Uh, license, <laughs> Doing insurance, and registration. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but I think, well, the obvious thing uh, that we first think about is whether we properly included that vehicle into Class 10, or maybe it should have been a Class 10.1 edition as a passenger vehicle. And I can see them um, assessing on that basis, but I don't think it's limited to that. Well, I mean, just first of all, like 10 versus 10.1, Katie, you just want to throw it out there. What does that mean, you know, if you're in one class versus the other yeah, from well, a CCA perspective? Yeah, right? well, absolutely. As Joe mentioned, you usually want to get it in class 10 because you can depreciate 
based on the full value of the vehicle. Whereas if you're in class 10.1, you're pretty much stuck at a CCA based on a $30,000 cap. So you're limited uh, there. And I think that would be the key difference. There are some other ands, ifs, and buts, but that's what we primarily look at. What about you? Well, Joe, you mentioned they're asking, did you claim back the mm -hmm. GST as an input tax credit? Maybe that was a $60,000 vehicle and we claimed our 3000 of GST back. Well, mm -hmm. just like we're limited for depreciation, we're limited for GST. Yeah. We should only have claimed half that back. And that's a pretty easy way for your CRA to get a nice quick check. Yeah, if it's a passenger vehicle, mm -hmm. that is. Now, it might not even meet the definition of a passenger vehicle. If it's a, if it's a truck, for example, used, um, used all or substantially all of the time for moving uh, passengers, equipment, or product, goods, uh, then you're okay um, in general. I don't know, Katie, Hugh, do you want to throw any other comments about that? Well, I think there's a whole bunch of ancillary issues related to passenger vehicle or not. You know, one other thing, uh, Hugh, you talked a little bit about input tax credits. I think one of the other things is, and I've seen this before, is some people might buy a vehicle that they really use personally. <coughs> It's not really a company asset. Maybe they only use it 10% of the time for business, but uh, they've bought it through their business. Well, one of the other problems we have here is if you are not using this vehicle principally in commercial activities, then you will get a zero input tax credit. So it's, it's, it's a nothing at that point. So mm -hmm. they are asking, what are you using these vehicles for? And that could be one of the angles. And certainly they are asking, what do you use it for in your business? Is there personal use? Probably if we're saying there's personal use, they're going to want to know who reported the benefits for that personal right. use. So an awful yeah. lot of issues to contend with. Yeah, and quantifying that benefit uh, will be impacted as to whether you have passenger vehicles or not. All right, well, let's so, jump on to the next topic. Pretty early to know exactly where CRA is going, but eventually we'll see. Yeah. <laughs> well, one other issue we've okay, seen now. from CRA fairly recently, uh, a lot of people, and we saw very recently, statistically, CRA said about 42.5% of us use their autofill my return service. So we mm -hmm. obviously had tax software or we had a tax preparer who used their tax software to download all the data CRA had on file and get it into the return. Well, we're now discovering that when the uh, taxpayer was deceased, there might be a death benefit from CPP on a CPP slip. Mm -hmm. And apparently CRA systems are recognizing that that's the deceased person's social insurance number on the slip we better pull that $2,500 death benefit down and put it on his return. Just one small problem. That's about the only person who can't possibly be the right one to report that money because it clearly was not received or even eligible for receipt until after that person passed away. So yeah. it should be getting reported either by the beneficiary or beneficiaries who received it, maybe by an estate. Joe, we've also heard some practitioners who've told us CRA came back and added the death benefits to the deceased's return. So something to watch out for specifically for deceased taxpayers, but I think more generally that we're not overly relying on CRA's download. It's still my tax return. Yeah. I got to make sure my tax mm -hmm. return is right. That's not CRA's job. And I can guarantee when CRA comes back and reassesses me three years from now, the excuse that while they didn't have that on their website when I downloaded it, isn't going to carry a lot of weight with the tax court judge. 
Well, why don't we jump on to the next topic, Katie? Golfing. Yeah, Let's hear it. yeah. In the summer, spring, we have lots of these charity golf tournaments. You might be involved in it, and you may also be responsible for issuing donation receipts to the participants in the tournaments. Well, we have a great resource for you provided by the CRA that talks about the ands, ifs, and buts with respect to these donation receipts. Remembering that the people that are playing in the tournament get some type of benefit mm -hmm. and their donation receipt has to consider that benefit. The golf fees, access to the golf court and that, golf so, court, court, whatever you drive, <laughs> <laughs> those things uh, has to be considered in your donation receipt. Um, yeah, so the, the, the main concept here is uh, whatever you paid less whatever you benefit for, yeah. that's, that's essentially your donation. Absolutely. So keep that in mind. Uh, one other thing too is if you are issuing donation receipts, there are a number of things that actually have to be on the receipt. One of them is the website uh, for uh, um, uh, for the Canada Revenue Agency. There's a specific uh, website there that has to be listed. Um, that website has actually changed, so you need to make sure you update all mm -hmm. of these receipts. That's that one. Anything else you want to mm -hmm. talk about? Easy well, Joe, it's that time of the year where we get to uh, see what CRA thought of our tax returns. We get our assessment. Sometimes mm -hmm. there's some scary information on there. Sure. And one that crops up on occasion is the individual who put too much money in their RRSP. Mm. And we've got to be aware there are some pretty punitive, I, I would call them penalty taxes, sure. if we're over. How much can we have in there at any one time? Well, you can have anything you're entitled to deduct, right? and your deduction room for 2018 will be on your RRSP, your mm -hmm. notice of assessment, so that's easy. You can be another 2000 over, provided you're age 18 or over. Anything above that is attracting a 1% per month penalty tax. And there are ways to get that money back out claim an offsetting deduction, but we're seeing more and more cases where the judge says, just burying your head in the sand and hoping you won't get caught is not a good idea. You're not going to get any sympathy at that point. Uh, well, that's all we have for this month. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next month. Life in the Tax Lane is presented by Video Tax News. The Video Tax News team has been supplying practical tax information to accountants and tax professionals for over 30 years. This Canadian-based company presents live and video seminars to thousands of tax professionals relating to both personal and corporate tax. Learn more at videotax.com. That's B-I-D-E-O-T-A-X.com. The preceding information is for general educational purposes only and deals with dynamic, time-sensitive, and complex matters that may not apply to particular facts and circumstances. Information provided should not be relied upon as a substitute for specialized professional advice in connection with any particular matter. For more details, see videotax.com slash disclaimer. Copyright Video Tax News Inc. 2018. All rights reserved.